Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Buck Joffrey. Uh, He is a physician, entrepreneur, asset manager, and podcaster. His podcast is called Wealth Formula. Welcome to the show, Buck. Thanks for having me, Jordan. So let's just start with a little bit of your background. You've done many different things. Kind of tell us your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, I started out, um, I still am a physician, finished my uh, surgical training in 2008. Uh, That happened to, the timing there couldn't be better in terms of uh, what was happening in the financial world, right? So it sort of opened my eyes and, um, you know, right around that time, it also been sort of inspired by some books uh, uh, written by Robert Kiyosaki and decided that, um, you know, uncharacteristically for myself to start thinking about life as a business guy. Um, And so I, instead of, you know, going down the path of working for someone else or a hospital, started my own practice and quickly turned that into a business, meaning uh, I uh, had people working for me and uh, started another one, then started another one and uh, started making a lot of money. So then I had to figure out how to invest. And, um, <clears throat> you know, my dad's uh, my dad is a real estate guy, has been for 50 years. And, um, you know, I, I know uh, desire initially to do that uh, because I thought it, it meant being a landlord, but pretty quickly figured out I could be an asset manager and run it like a business. So that's that's how I did it. And it's not just about real estate, but it's really just about looking for any really good opportunities and in investing. And, and that's really uh, what I do mostly now. So let's concentrate on your entrepreneurship. We're going to get to the asset management in the other area. But sure. Tell us a little bit about the businesses you started and, and what does it take to start a successful business in today's economy? Yeah. So, um, well, for one thing, uh, you know, it was helpful for me to have great familiarity with, you know, the, the type of business I was doing. So I actually started um, right after training. I, I went to work uh, for a company that was doing cosmetic surgery, and that was part of my training. Um, I started, I uh, did everything from neurosurgery, head and neck surgery to plastic surgery. So I, I was way overtrained. Um, I uh, uh, learned a lot from working from this company. Uh, and uh, what I did was I just took their idea and pivoted and tried to clone it as much as I could. Uh, and so that's, uh, that worked out really well for me. Um, the next, uh, the next business, uh, was something that was based, um, on a variable, let's put it this way. The first business was a facelift business that I worked for. Um, and it was built on the same model as a hair club model or Bosley model, right? So these kind of, you know, big mass media things, and then they drive traffic in, and then you end up doing procedures. And, and, you know, it's not a bad business, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. So I did that. And the second business I did, um, I used that same model. model. I just changed a variable, and this time it was related to science and allergy. And then I did another business that was related to behavioral health. And in, in these kinds of things, for the most part, the only thing I changed was one variable. So sometimes uh, when things start working in a certain way, don't change it, right? So what would you suggest to people who are thinking of starting a business as to how to analyze whether it's going to be successful or not? Well, that's a good question. I think first and foremost, you have to think, what is it that I am offering that either you know solves a problem uh, or entertains people? Because those are really the only things that uh, you know that really 
turn into good businesses. What I found is that the best businesses, the most ideal businesses that you can create is where everybody wins. And usually it is solving some sort of inefficiency or pain point in a system. So, so that's pretty, um, uh, it, that's sort of broad strokes, but that's, that's the reality. I'm just looking for businesses at this point um, from a startup standpoint at things that uh, I feel like are inefficient or that don't work well or it's difficult to connect with. And if you solve a problem, you effectively have a business. I see. Okay. So in addition to the businesses you've started and your asset management, you are investing in other startup businesses now. Is that correct? And so what are you looking for in that area? Actually, I don't. I don't. I don't invest in startup businesses uh, unless. Well, I should take that back. I have invested a little bit of money in various startups, just based on uh, you know, based on people who I know and trust. So mostly, I'm interested in the management team. If I think that the management team is very good and they have a good idea, I'm willing to potentially invest. But, you know, listen, a good idea does not make a good business. Unfortunately, a good idea is probably only about, you know, 1% of the business. It's all about execution, management team, et cetera. So, so that's, that's, uh, that's a different animal entirely. Okay, very good. So as far as an asset manager, you were making all this money from these businesses. Uh, so you started with stocks or what did you start with? And then you went into real estate, kind of how did your uh, asset management life begin? Well, I never did stocks. Uh, I didn't do stocks because I didn't understand them. And I, uh, I have a sur- I'm a surgeon, and I have a surgeon's personality. And a lot of times, you know, surgeons uh, are very uh, cut and dry, shall we say? We, we we like to, you know, we like to know exactly what's going on. We don't like to leave things to chance. And so, um, that mentality for me was all about okay, if I'm going to invest in something, I need to understand it. I never understood the stock market. In 2008, I I didn't really understand why people lost trillions of dollars. And so uh, what I did know is that my dad was a landlord for, you know, decades. And, um, you know, I I never had, I never wanted for anything in terms of money, paid for my education, paid for medical school and and he was an immigrant to the U.S. in uh, 1967. And if he could do that, then I should be able to do pretty well by investing in real assets. So I invested in, I started investing in apartment buildings uh, as soon as I started, uh, as soon as I got the money to do it. And I started buying apartment buildings myself. And I started investing in other private placements in oil and gas. And I started investing um, in a variety of other non-traditional means and notes, et cetera things that I understood. And in that process, what happened is I was able to grow my own wealth fairly substantially. And at that point, had a number of friends and colleagues who started asking if they could invest with me or alongside me. And that's where, uh, that's the point at which I decided, well, I think I'm just going to start, you know, an asset management company and I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. I'm just going to scale it now and, you know, have others who can invest with me. So what is the structure that you have other people? Is it a Reg A plus fund or what kind of funds? Is it accredited investors only? What kind of structure do you offer for people to invest? Yeah, so it's it's accredited investors only typically, uh, but it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, and it's not a fund. It is a, it's an asset specific uh, strategy. So, you know, for example, apartment buildings, uh, we have uh a luxury hotel in in Belize right now that we're we're we have fractional ownership in. 
Uh, we have uh, we're putting together a fund on uh, some life insurance policies. Um, so th- there's a variety of things, but it's not a single uh, blind fund. Um, one of the reasons I stay away from those is because I think sometimes they're a little bit inefficient. And then my investors and the way I focused my own investments is to try to maximize those returns. And I, you know, I'd like to keep things typically, you know, shooting for you know, greater than eight percent, you know, preferably double-digit returns. So it's hard to do that with a blind fund or a pool. Because a lot of times it's money sitting around, um, some of it sitting around lazy, either waiting for people to you know ask for their money back or waiting for some, uh, you know, waiting for the next investment to come along. So, so just so I'm clear, you find the investment first, and then you ask your investors to put money into it, whether it be a hotel, an apartment building, or life settlement. Is that the way it works? Correct. And so I have uh, through through my uh, network and through our my podcast, Wealth Formula Podcast, we have something called Investor Club, which is just for accredited investors. And people sign up. And they, you know, we, we create a relationship. Uh, at that point, they become uh, potential open to, you know, regulation uh, 506B uh, type, uh, investments. And, um, you know, we, we, we provide deal flow and I should point out that it's not always my, uh, deals. I'll, even though I have assets that I am syndicating, um, you know, it's not always about me. And if there are deals that people that I know, colleagues, uh, people I've invested before who've got a great opportunity, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, let them have the stage and 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 say what it is that they're doing and and if uh, my investors are interested in that then more power to them. So what kind of returns have you been giving to your investors? And you've been doing this for what five years now? How long have you been doing this? Well, I've been investing in apartment buildings for yeah probably about five years as long as I've had money. Um, typical returns. Uh, my my own apartment uh, apartment building portfolios. You know, I understand too that most of them I bought at a very, very good time. Um, so I'd say over 15% cash on cash um, for my own portfolio. And, you know, it's, you know, when you get into the syndications, your, our, our focus is a pro forma, five-year pro forma nearing 20, you know, internal rate of return of about 20%. So, you know, it's hard to say um, exactly because obviously you're using a pro forma, but our target is going to be greater than 8%, typically an 8% pref. Yeah, so they got first. If people want to find out more, is there a website they can find out more about that investor club? Yep, wealthformula.com. And you can uh, go there and you'll see a great big uh, icon that says investor club. Very good. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Buck Joffrey. Uh, He's a doctor, an entrepreneur. You can see he started many businesses. Uh, He's an asset manager. He also has a podcast. Uh, His website is wealthformula.com. His podcast is also Wealth Formula. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Buck Joffrey. He's a doctor, an entrepreneur, an asset manager, a podcaster. You can find out more about him at his website, which is wealthformula.com. He also has a podcast called Wealth Formula. Welcome back to the show, Buck. Thanks. So let's talk about the specific areas that you do like. You like real assets more than the stock market. And why is that that you're in favor of real assets, things like real estate, I guess, gold and silver and physical things like that? Well, you know, I think, first of all, you know, I think of things that, um, first and foremost, that I understand. And... um, Listen, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, consider myself a reasonably intelligent person, but I can't tell uh, why valuations are what they are in in the stock market right now. When you look at, uh, you know, the Schiller index, and you look at the way things are valued, and when you compare them to the earnings that are, um, you know, that that these companies are putting out, I I don't make I can't make any sense of it, and I can't make sense of why those numbers fluctuate. The way they do, and how, and and when one bank goes south in 2008, and and there's some mortgage problems that that everybody's wealth gets wiped out. I don't. So to me, those are fundamentally things that, you know, I, on the grand scheme of thing, of course I understand it, but I don't want to be part of something that I can't control to a certain extent. To me, an investment needs to be as simple as I can. Uh, I can you can explain it to me on the back of an envelope. If you can explain it to me on the back of an envelope, it's something that I'm interested in. If it's based on you know emotions and geopolitical issues and that sort of thing, I'm not interested. Okay. So as far as real estate, there's a lot of different ways of doing real estate. Uh, your particular area is apartment buildings. Why do you like apartment buildings over individual houses or commercial real estate or other forms of real estate? So I like I like big bigger than uh, as big as possible in, in general, uh, and that's because um, that's because I approach it as a business. So if I can if I can have a two hundred unit building and have one roof uh, over that two hundred unit 
uh, those 200 units, that's going to be a lot more efficient for me than having 200 single family homes with 200 roofs and, um, you know, all the different uh, uh, things that go along with each individual house. I think what you find is that, you know, with the larger assets, there's a few advantages. One advantage is uh, the ability to deploy more capital at once. So if you're doing single family homes, if you want decent return on them, you're usually looking at $100,000 homes. So you're deploying, you know, $20,000 at a time. Now, if you are if that's what you're trying to do, then great. You know, that's there's no problem with that. But I'm I'm generally trying to deploy more capital uh, than that at any given time. The other issue is that with larger assets, you can you can um, save money in terms of the the management of the property because again you're using scale and you have one property manager who's managing you know 200 units as opposed to a property manager here and a property manager there doing you know one bill one house at a time the other um for me too uh the idea behind real estate is i operate like a business and what i mean by that is one of the reasons that i was not interested in real estate as a kid was because my dad is a landlord and he's been a landlord for a very long time and I did not want to be a landlord. I had no interest in, you know, talking to tenants about, you know, toilets and termites and, and all that stuff. But what I did understand and appreciate over that time was that real estate was a tremendous vehicle for growing and creating wealth. And so um, that that idea in combination with the fact that I approach everything as a business made a lot more sense to look at larger assets because when you have a building that's 200 units, you run it like a business. You don't run it like uh, the same way a person who owns a single family home uh, would, would, uh, would you know, carry out the operations of that single family home. How much are you typically going to spend on a 200 unit apartment building? Just roughly, what, what are the amounts you're investing? Well, let's say um, in in the case of um, let's look at a market. So um, it, it depends. It's very much market specific. But I would tell you that our you know our target uh, asset size is going to be somewhere between ten and twenty million, and um, and so uh, these are going to be Freddie Fannie non recourse uh, loans, and typically we're shooting for eighty percent LTV, which means we probably need to raise. Anywhere from um, you know four million, uh, so four million up in equity. You're putting down twenty percent and correct, space. correct, correct. Yeah. So the equity from the investors is you know typically going to be somewhere in the four million plus range. And, and, and so, you're doing this for in- income, for rental income, or are you hoping it appreciates and selling it over time? Both. Um, first and foremost is income. I'm a strong believer in income and now. Uh, net operating income is what we're going to buy on. We want to we want to make sure that uh, that we can return and uh, you know uh, a certain return you know even from year one or two uh, you got to have some cash flow otherwise it's not worth buying in my view um, we look at the five year pro forma and we look at it and try to be conservative because as you probably know the multifamily market right now is is hot you know and there's a lot of what we call cap rate compression. And, um, and so you have to be somewhat careful. And if you're buying on income today, that's probably the safest way to buy. And so that's the way, uh, that's the way we approach it. So, um, do you tend to buy in high priced hot markets like a San Francisco or are you buying in lower priced, not as hot markets in the Midwest or something like that? What, what areas of the country, uh, do you like to buy these apartment buildings? Well, 
It depends. Uh, part of it is determining, you know, what's what's happening. I certainly in 2012 bought quite a bit in Chicago, and Chicago's not a very good place to buy at all right now because the the returns are so miserable. Um, but then um, I'm a huge fan of Texas, and even though that Dallas Fort Worth is a you know it's a market that's uh, uh, that been been very hot for a long time. I think that if you look at the growth of the economy, you look at the growth in population, and you look at what's happening there now. I'm very bullish on on that market. So I think that's a great market where we can you know we can go in, get yield, and also uh, look for a, a potential strong upside five to seven years down the line. Now that's a market too that. If, if, if it's not a good time to sell in five years and just hold on. So yeah. that's that's philosophically it. The other thing I'll point out is that my own preference is typically is going to be what we call a B and C class property. We're not going in there trying to buy luxury properties. We're going to, we want to buy properties where working class people live. And the reason for that is that, again, we're trying to keep in mind what people need to have, not what they wish they have. And people need roofs over their home, roofs over their heads, and it's a simple, you know, issue of a, you know, Maslow hierarchy of needs. You need a roof over your head, and if you buy uh, properties that are super, you know, A class, where the, you know, the the people with more money are living, and the the economy goes south, that's usually the part of the housing market that gets hit the hardest. And are you trying to buy these when they're not in great shape and fix them up? And raise people's rents to uh, increase the cash flow. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big um, that's a big part of it. Um, I would I would characterize our approach as being uh, somewhat conservative. I mean, we're not going to we 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 don't look at uh, properties and and try to be heroic. But if what we're looking for is opportunistic um, properties where say they're not being managed as well as they could be. Or we have an idea that um, uh, that we can lower expenses, or that we look at the market rents and the rents aren't you know great, and we can put in you know four or five thousand dollars per unit and maybe renovate fifty percent of them. Uh, so so there is definitely a business plan of renovation as part of that whole uh, pro forma. So tell us how it, how it works from an investor's point of view. They have to be accredited, which means they have a million dollars in assets, excluding the value of their home. Or they earn two hundred thousand as an individual, three hundred thousand as a couple. So they say they're accredited. Is the minimum a hundred thousand, or and what kind of yield would they get uh, if they invest? Not not counting the appreciation down the road. Yeah. So so I would say that uh, it, it's it's asset specific in terms of the minimum investments. Uh, you know, we've uh, I would say it would be as could be as low as um, twenty five thousand, but typically fifty thousand dollars is going to be a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of returns, I'm generally not going to put anything out there uh, for people if I don't think that we can get we can obtain double-digit returns uh, over the course of the next five years on average. So that's, that's counting the appreciation plus the <laughs> rental income, right? Right. So net operating income. Uh, well, let's say on today's numbers, if I look at a year one or two, which I would say is less about appreciation, more about you know directly what we're going to do. I'm generally not going to be interested in anything that delivers less than eight percent in those first, you know, year or two. So, so the idea is to, you know, start at that, you know, maybe it's seven, but or eight percent. But over over the course of the next uh, few years, that we want to be in double digits, and hopefully, you know, 
in the low to mid-teens, and then we may have an opportunity at some point for a speculative upside um, with capital gains. Yeah. Now, you're worried about inflation coming back. How would a rental apartment building like this be a hedge against inflation? Yeah, I think this is like one of the best places to be for inflation because inflation is a... um, Inflation affects everything, and it affects uh, it. In fact, it, it affects uh, not only uh, you know the things that we buy, but it affects rent. And so, to me, it's a matter of um, you know, if we know inflation is coming, what can we own that we know that will go up with inflation? And to me, housing is is obviously one of those uh, one of those items. Because you can raise rents. Is that the reason? Or is the value of the real estate going to go up? And typically that's the way you, you know, you underwrite these deals. And that's the way, you know, when rents are raised, they're raised in part based on what the inflation rate is. So um, you're, you're, you know, you're underwriting that into the deal. So you're saying a lot of investors are not protected against inflation with the investments they have. And this is a way they can do it. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I think you can you you can you can definitely uh, hedge inflation by owning real assets because real assets, you know, will will again they'll they will inflate with inflation. So, do you believe in other uh, inflation hedges too, like gold and silver and kind of traditional inflation hedges? Yeah, I do. I you know the problem with um, gold and silver to me, and I own gold and silver is that um, I don't have, I see them as money. You know, I don't, I don't see them as investments. I think if you look at, um, you know, the long term, if you look at in Roman times, an ounce of gold bought you a, a fancy toga and an ounce of gold now will buy you a, an Armani suit. I mean, so there's a tremendous value play there in terms of, of you know, maintaining, uh, maintaining your wealth. Uh, but, you know, I also like things that cash flow because cash flow is a very big part of my investing paradigm. And it's, you know, it's hard to get cash flow from from precious metals. So I think of them as I think of gold and silver as a great way to preserve wealth. Um, and, um, you know, rather than sitting in dollars, a lot of times it's, it's a good idea to have, uh, you know, at least a, a fair amount let's say 5 to 10% of your um, liquid assets uh, sitting in precious metals is not a bad idea. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My uh, guest this hour is Buck Joffrey. Uh, he's a physician, entrepreneur, an asset manager, podcaster. His website is wealthformula.com. Uh, his podcast is Wealth Formula. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Buck Jeffrey. He's a physician, entrepreneur, asset manager, podcaster. Uh, his podcast is called Wealth Formula, and his website is wealthformula.com. Welcome back to the show, Buck. Thanks. It's been fun. So something else you're interested in is life settlements. This is where you can buy an existing life insurance policy. Uh, so tell us how that works and why is that a good place to invest? Well, so again, going back to my background here, I'm a physician, right? So um, this this type of thing really seems to appeal to my physicians uh, in my investor group, and and here's here's how it works. So of course, um, uh, your audience probably knows a little bit about uh, life insurance, and typically you have two types. Um, well, you have more than two types, but broadly speaking, you have term life insurance, which has no cash value. And then you have whole life insurance, which has a cash value, but tends to be quite a bit more expensive. The reality is that probably most people are best off with term insurance, but a lot of people buy whole life. One of the big problems with that is that over time, say somebody's in their 70s or 80s, they can't afford that policy anymore, or they want, or they need that money. And unfortunately, statistically, if you look at it, over 50% of those policies simply expire. And when they expire, guess who wins? The insurance, insurance company. company. Right. right. And they love it. They love that because you've got a 78-year-old person who doesn't even remember they have an insurance policy and it expires and it's been, you know, it's used up all their cash value in terms of just paying premiums and then it's just closed and done. So that is uh, unfortunately the reality. So what life settlements is, is, listen, there's a couple options here that seniors have in that situation where they need the money if they can't afford it. One is, of course, like I said, it just gets lapsed. And that's unfortunately what a lot of times happens. The second is hopefully they have at least, you know, some uh, a sense that they can go to the insurance company and get the surrender value, which is essentially what cash value has built up in that uh, in that over time. And, you know, sometimes uh, if it's a it's a couple million dollar, a uh, uh, couple million dollars of, of death benefit, there might be a hundred thousand dollars sitting there uh, in the bank that they can withdraw. And hopefully that's, you know, that's some money that they can use for the rest of their life. Now, the final the third option is what life settlements are all about. So life settlements c- companies, what they do is they go to these people um, who are trying to you know, surrender their policies and say, you're going to get $100,000 for your policy from your insurance company. How about we pay you three hundred to $500,000 for your policy, and then we own it? You see, whole life insurance policies actually have an, they are an asset. You own them. There's a cash value to them. And so they can be transferred. So you can literally transfer, you can sell your life insurance policy 
to somebody else. And the so the buyer becomes the beneficiary of the exactly, death. exactly. Right. And the face value of these things is, um, or the death benefit is usually so much higher than the than the uh, cash value that everybody can win, and we can make it so that the insurance company loses. Right. So what we're doing is we're paying the, uh, you know, we're paying the elderly person three to five times what they would get if they just returned it to the insurance company. In return, we're taking over that insurance policy. You have to pay the premiums. We do have to pay that. And but there's so much uh, equity left, contractual money left on the bone. I mean, we're talking about so our typical our typical portfolio. What we're looking at for investors is that they're going to buy these uh, death benefits at 35 cents on the dollar. So you don't know when you're going to collect because it depends when the person dies. Correct. And that's where uh, you got to be a little careful because you don't want to do what are called viaticals. Viaticals are uh, something that was, uh, you know, there, there's companies out there that do that, that target people who are younger and, you know, they, they end up with some sort of terminal illness. That's really not what we're doing. Life settlements are typically for, they're targeted at people who are close to, say, 80 years old, which is life expectancy, targeting people specifically who have certain criteria, such, uh, you know, illnesses, uh, chronic illnesses, that give them a life expectancy of a certain period of time, say, less than five years. Uh-huh. So... So, and you have a portfolio. You're not just putting all your money on one. Exactly. Because you never know exactly. when any particular person's going to die, right? Precisely. And so what you're doing is you're relying on several, uh, you can take three, you know, three actuarial reports on the same person and, you know, just try to reaffirm what you think is going to happen. Now, certainly, uh, you know, these things are somewhat unpredictable to the extent that you might have, you know, everybody die in the first year and you might have everybody die in, you know, year five or, you know, spread out. And so what happens is every time somebody dies, there's a payout. And so this kind of thing to me is particularly um, fascinating if you put it in the context of a self-directed IRA, if you're somebody in your 30s, 40s, et cetera. Uh, obviously, you know, it is, it is contractual income. So it's, it's, it's literally money that is you know, so is it an individual investor buying a policy, or do you have a group that are buying a, a diversified portfolio of policies? So it is effectively what, what the model is, is that you have a fund, and the fund has got a portfolio. And so you're owning, uh, each individual investor is owning, um, fra- has fractional ownership in several policies. Uh-huh. And, and how many policies typically would be in a fund like that? Well, it depends on the company. It's probably... You know, five to seven. So it's not that big. So are no. these funds you're putting together and you're bringing in these policies or this is existing funds that you're putting your people into? No, these are, these are, uh, and actually it's something that, uh, you know, we're, we're currently working on, but effectively what it is, is it's um, the, the, the policies are there, the portfolios are there and we're just buying into them. I see. So you're not in the process of, assembling these portfolios yourself. No, no, no. Fortunately, there's uh, there's companies that do this and that have uh, substantial, um, you know, substantial portfolios of these already. And the tricky part is participation in these has been very, very difficult in the past. As you might imagine, um, the it's, it's, it's something that is uh, such a tremendous hedge against the markets. And, you know, 
if you think about you know the the possibilities here, there's lots of high net worth people and institutions that are invested in this kind of stuff. I mean, Berkshire Hathaway has a one billion dollar position in life settlements. And if you're buying these things at thirty five or forty cents on the dollar, what kind of returns are you going to earn over time? Assuming people die, you know, over a spread out time period. So that's that's of course uh, sort of impossible to predict. But there's a there's a paper from the London School of Economics that talks about a study over um, you know several hundred of these types of uh, uh, life settlement policies. And talks about the average annual uh, return being in the mid-teens. Uh-huh. And so you've experienced this yourself. You've actually invested in these things and they've worked out? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Another area in addition to life settlements going going further south, I guess you might say, is uh, Belize, uh, the country in Central America. Um, what, what kind of investments do you see there? What is the attraction of investing in Belize? Well, the uh, Belize is a is is a phenomenal market. It is a um, you know it's it's it has a um, tremendous shortage of rooms. That's probably the biggest thing about you need to know about Belize right now, which is about ho- hotel rooms. You mean correct? They have uh, they just don't have the inventory they need. They're probably about two thousand rooms short uh, on the main island of uh, Ambergris Key, and um, and so that is something. Uh, that that we find very attractive. Uh, the other thing uh, about uh, Belize is that if you look at markets that were affected um, in 2008, remarkably, the tourism market in Ambergris Key in 2008, during the meltdown, uh, only took a hit of about one percent. Uh, so, so that's better than a lot of multifamily markets did. But so this is where uh, you're buying existing. You're building new, and you're going to get the money from rental income or for appreciation. What is the, the yeah? Play? So what we're doing there is we're buying fractional ownership uh, from the developer of a of a major luxury brand hotel, and mm-hmm. um, and there what we're looking at is you know about a year, um, about a year to eighteen months in terms of uh, you know time to uh, uh, stabilization. And then at that point, we're looking at pro formas of eight to twelve percent uh, at uh, stabilization. But of course, uh, this particular uh, major luxury uh, brand underwrites for about five percent increase in year per year in rent. And of course, you also have uh, the idea in five to seven years, you now you have a stabilized asset. You don't have a development. So, so it's um, it's I think it's a really interesting opportunity. I think you know not just what we're doing there, but I think in Belize in general, I think there's tremendous opportunity and uh, and uh, I think investors are, are are doing well. Are there other places in Central America you like of a similar kind of model? I don't I don't have anything that I'm involved in. I think certainly um, uh, you know colleagues of mine are doing a number of different uh, things, whether they be coffee farms, uh, et cetera in, in for example, in Panama. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't call myself a Central America expert. I think I'm just looking at uh, where opportunities pop up and where they make a lot of sense. So, And you also see it as an inflation hedge, the Belize investment. I do. I do. I mean, in, in, here's the thing with uh, the Belizean dollar is pegged to the American dollar. And, um, you know, it moves in up, up and down with the American dollar. Now, if uh, the good thing is like... Um, is that they can unpeg anytime they want. So if if it it seems unfavorable for Belize to to uh, uh, to be pegged to the dollar, they can always pull the plug. 
And again, for your investors, you're putting your investors' money in these things as well. What Correct. is the minimum and what? how would it, is it like a five to seven year hold or what would be involved for an investor involved in this Belizean property? Yeah, so um, it is a, uh, it's a $50,000 minimum. And uh, I would say a five to seven year hold is about right. I mean, I, with the, with the, um, and I would say that if we have an opportunity to exit a little bit earlier and, you know, come out doubling our money, it's something that we would consider doing. Um, but I think five to seven years and, uh, and uh, at that point, some kind of exit. Now, one thing that's interesting about this project is it's unleveraged. And so that's good and it's bad. It's, it's obviously uh, bad because we have to come up with all the equity. But it's good in that, you know, for development, you know, to have uh, leverage obviously makes it a little bit more risky. We don't have that. Uh, we have affiliation with a major hotel um, um, brand. And the value here is that the 8 to 12% performa that we're looking at at stabilization is actually unleveraged. So if you look at that in terms of multifamily building, uh, a multifamily apartment building or other uh, real estate in general, you look at that as a capitalization rate. So typically, when you're looking at capitalization rates for major assets in the U.S. right now, it's difficult to find anything, uh, you know, um, above seven. I mean, if you're yeah. lucky. So. And what is it for the Belize property? Uh, the cap, cap rate? About eight to twelve, depending on. I mean, I we believe it'll be closer to twelve, but mm-hmm. uh, that's based on uh, similar uh, comps, luxury comster that what we're going to get. Now, the market capitalization rate is actually significantly lower than that. Um, you know, the the properties that people are buying there that are stabilized, they're buying them at about a five. They're buying at about five or six. And so, we believe that we're actually coming in uh, with built-in equity. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Buck Joffrey. He's a doctor, entrepreneur, asset manager. You can see he invests in life settlements and Belizean hotels and apartment buildings, all kinds of different things. You can find out more about him at his website, which is wealthformula.com. He also has a podcast, which is called Wealth Formula. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel. 
and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Buck Joffrey. Uh, He's a doctor, entrepreneur, asset manager, podcaster. Uh, His website is wealthformula.com, and his podcast is also called Wealth Formula. Welcome back to the show, Buck. Thanks. Now, in addition to all that, you've done a book, uh, which is called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. We won't have a chance to get through all of it here, but kind of give us the idea of what's behind this book and why did you want to do it? Yeah, so it's uh, it's funny because base, it, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, the, the title, because it sounds a little cheesy, but the reality is what it, what happened was when I started investing and I started you know making this money, a lot of people who knew me for a long time as an academic surgeon and as a very you know studious guy, what, what's going on with you, Buck? I mean, uh, how did this happen and what you know how are you making all the money and, and what's your secret? So I said, well, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to call it The Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. And so really what this is, is it's sort of a manifesto for a lot of people uh, who are professionals, say young doctors, uh, just getting out of residency, et cetera. They really don't have, I think, um, enough resources that are unbiased towards them. There's plenty of people who want to go and and and, and immediately try to take their money from them and, and, and uh, invest it and get lots of commissions on them. But what I wanted to do is write a book where it was fundamentals on real asset investing. So here are the fundamentals ultimately in in just a couple of minutes. Cash flow. Cash flow is number one, investing in cash flow. If you know there's all sorts of things out there that you can invest in, you know, my preference is always to look for cash flow first because that's mm-hmm. the money you're getting today. The the next thing is understanding your investments. We talked about that earlier. I don't understand most of what's going on there in the stock market and why things go up and down by several percent just because of something completely unrelated. So if you can't write it on the back of an envelope, don't invest in it. Um, I, I believe in real assets as we talked about, and you want to be able to generally uh, invest in something that you can see, touch, or feel. Also, in terms of um, you know, when you're first starting out and you're trying to invest in things and start starting to build your um, your portfolio, focus on things that are essential for people. So I go back to the example of Maslow's hierarchy of things that people need. So level one is you know essentially is food and, and water and, and all those things. But the survival kinds of things. Survival, right? Right. And the mm-hmm. second level is. The second level is safety and security. So if you look at those first two levels, you have a number of things that you can invest in. But the thing that's probably the easiest is shelter. So that's why I'm so bullish on multifamily. And again, I'm bullish on multifamily, not at the you know A-level buildings. I'm looking at working class uh, housing. Um, you know, I have a friend who's doing a mobile home park deal I think is very attractive. I don't personally know very much about mobile home parks, so we've featured him on Investor Club uh, as an opportunity for people uh, to invest in. I think it's a great thing. It's uh, low-income housing. So those those are sort of the fundamentals. And then ultimately, it's all about, you know, emphasizing education is critically important 
for uh, professionals, for you know, people who are highly so skilled. How can people get objective financial education, not just from people who are selling them something? Yeah, it's a good question. But I think, you know, Jordan, you, you and I both, um, you know, we, you know, I, I basically am self-taught, right? So I've just, you read enough books, you listen to enough people, hopefully, you know, through that, you're going to, you're already a smart person, but you're spending some time trying to listen to people and, you know, you, eventually something's going to resonate with you. It may not be from what I'm saying. It, it may not be, it may be from somebody with a completely different perspective, but at least, you know, if you're an intelligent person, you should be taking some time to listen to podcasts and read books and try to come up with a personal investment philosophy. Because I truly believe that the way that the world is right now and the way that the the, the financial system and, and the economy is, I think, I think a lot of young professionals and professionals in general uh, are really at high risk of, of running out of money before they die. You also say to avoid outdated and dangerous paradigms. What would be some examples of those? Well, I think if you go to uh, your typical... Uh, you know, your typical money manager or or wealth planner. I mean, I think you're going to hear a lot of these sort of uh, words like, um, you know, we're going to grow at 7% per year. Inflation is going to be 2% per year. Uh, And what we know uh, is that that from the past few years is that there really is no guarantees in the world. And to, to use these types of uh, numbers in your calculations is, is pretty dangerous because a lot of times, if you look back even historically, uh, you know, we've not achieved those kinds of numbers, especially for somebody who's been investing largely in mutual funds. And mutual funds, for example, have an average, I think Forbes said, of about 3.5% load. So what that means is right off the bat, if you invested, if you had $100,000 with a wealth manager, you're losing 3.5%. From day one, imagine how much you have to make just to get back uh, to even, and then you're going to say you're going to get to 7% return, right? It, it's, it's not, I think these things are very dangerous, the numbers that are thrown out there right now. And I think um, that's what concerns me. And in addition, obviously, Jordan, as you know, we've got a unparalleled uh, financial, uh, you know, kind of uh, situation here in the world with the economy. You know, we've had 0% interest rates, near zero interest rates for, you know, seven or eight years. We have a national debt that is, you know, is, is huge. And, and we just don't know. And the Fed doesn't know what to do. And so if the Fed doesn't know what to do and you have, you know, these major traders in the market who are all shorting the S&P 500, like George Soros, uh, why would we keep putting money in the market, right? Yeah. The problem is, that the financial planners, and I'm not saying they're all bad people, but the way they make money is for you to have money in the market. Now, they don't have skin in the game to the extent that they're not necessarily investing in the same thing as you, but the more you put into their accounts, the more money they make. Whether you're doing it under assets under management, yeah. Exactly. You, you talk about freeing yourself from golden handcuffs. Is that what you're referring to, is uh, assets under management? No, I think the golden handcuffs idea for me is, um, you know, there's high paid professionals, doctors, lawyers, engineers, et cetera. And I think the problem that a lot of us run into uh, is that, you know, we we somehow find a way, you know, after residency, uh, you know, and during residency, I was making forty, fifty thousand $50,000 per year in San Francisco. I can tell you how far that went. Yeah. Right. But the 
but what happens with a lot of people is that they start making a bunch of money, um, six figures plus, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars, and they elevate their lives uh, to match that uh, that that level of income. The problem is then then they're just working to maintain a certain type of life. And so what we're trying to do when we say break break free from the uh, golden handcuffs is to try to get people to invest intelligently so that we start creating multiple streams of income via passive income. We're creating other means of making money other than just ex- you know changing, uh, exchanging uh, hours uh, for money. Indeed. Very good. Well, we're going to uh, wrap this up. Just kind of give a brief summary of what we've talked about and what a difference it'll make for people to follow your approach as opposed to the traditional approach of investing. Well, I would just say this is I think that uh, one of the funny things you hear about real asset investing when you hear wealth uh, advisors talk about is they call it alternative uh, investments. But I will challenge you uh, here in that uh, people have owned real assets. They've owned, you know, gold. They've owned, you know, housing or, or land or precious metals and art long before there was ever a uh, stock market, and long before there were stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And if you look at the wealthiest families throughout generations, they own real assets, not yeah. stocks. Very good. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Buck. Uh, my guest this hour has been Buck Joffrey. Uh, he's a physician, an entrepreneur, uh, owned many businesses, an asset manager, particularly in real estate. He's also a podcaster. You can find out more at his website, which is wealthformula.com. Uh, the book we're referring to is called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, uh, which you can get at Amazon.com, and he has a podcast called Wealth Formula as well. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Buck. Thank you. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.